Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Psychology Sisters podcast. Before jumping into today's episode, we would like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Arabakul, Waramai, and Darul peoples on which the Psychology Sisters podcast is recorded today. We acknowledge both their history and their living present, as well as future generations. We invite you to take a moment to pay your respects to the traditional owners of the land in which you are joining us on today. This episode is sponsored by our brand new six-week anxiety e-course, a self-paced course dedicated to deepening your understanding of the hows and why of your anxiety, as well as teaching you the strategies that really work. If you'd like to feel more calm, confident, and empowered with your anxiety, head to the links in the show notes for more information. Welcome back to another episode from the Psychology Sisters. We are two passionate professionals on a mission to deepen your understanding around mental health and start the conversations to break down stigma. Hosted by Kat, a registered psychologist. And Amy, a registered psychotherapist. From building our own online private practice, the Site Collaborative, to creating an e-course to help you care for your anxiety, we are so dedicated to bringing good quality, evidence-based information to you in easily digestible and accessible ways. Together we dive deep into the wonderfully complex world of psychology. everybody welcome back to another episode today we are talking all things rejection that universal pain that causes absolute havoc on us but before we get into exploring all things rejection lovely dear Katniss how are you how has your week been what is your pit and peak the 411 the happening or the crappening <laughs> as you said off mic a little bit ago <laughs> fill me in I feel like I heard that it was probably in about year four and I'm just back in my year four era you know when someone says what's happening I'm like I'm reverted back to Nickelodeon I'm reverted back to the 90s so I've never heard of it haven't you oh my goodness well I grew up with a lot of boys so you probably had a much more articulate sophisticated childhood than I did but a lot of the lingo I was surrounded with was what's crappening a lot of poo lingo so I'm just bringing it back you know having a bit of childhood (laughs) nostalgia (laughs) but thank you so much for the warm introduction not too much has been going on I do need to just apologize in advance for this voice of mine I am recovering from some kind of viral infection. I'm feeling a little bit better, but I am just, yeah, really, really, I'm just sorry about my voice. <laughs> I'm, I'm just sorry. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Get out of this sad hole that I'm in. But I will talk about my pit and peak. So my peak was I went on such a beautiful holiday last week. I got back last Wednesday and I went to the beautiful Cook Islands and Oh my God, it was just phenomenal. I was so looking forward to having a bit of a break, but it blew my brains, this beautiful island in the South Pacific. So I just had such a beautiful time of actually relaxing, 
finishing my book, really taking it slow, lots of swimming, lots of snorkeling. I really, really wanted to get back into the ocean. I've been feeling a little bit disconnected from swimming lately, so it's really nice to just be back in my island girl era and swimming a lot and being in the sun, eating tropical fruits, coconut every morning, and I just had such a beautiful time. The people were so, so beautiful. That was certainly the highlight. So I feel very refreshed apart from this very anonymous viral infection, but I'm feeling so wonderful and I really do highly recommend for anyone who is wanting a little bit of a trip somewhere. It was such a beautiful location, so do highly, highly recommend. But I would say that my pit would just be... (laughs) Okay, so on the plane home, I was sitting in the aisle seat and there was this man across the other side of the aisle and he was coughing and spluttering. He was blowing his nose and throwing his tissues on the ground. Is this where the viral infection started? Yes. I looked at him and I thought, no, 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 sir. Kind sir, please don't infect me. I'm high on life after my island holiday, feeling so relaxed, had my lay around my neck. And then I see this man and I'm like, oh, no, oh, no. So on the plane home, tends to be a bit of a theme for me, I'm learning. I got quite unwell and (laughs) I cursed this man. I cursed the day he was born. No, I'm just kidding, but really. And, yeah, I've just been unwell ever (laughs) since. But I was saying to a client, it's a small price to pay for going on a beautiful trip. So a price I would pay time and time again for sure. But, Yes, that would be my pit and peak of the week. Beautiful holiday, (laughs) just paying the price for it now. But my darling sweet Ames, how are you? How is life? Give me the update. What is crappening? What's the 411? What is your pit and peak of the week? (gasps) What is crappening? (laughs) What is hippity hop happening? Well, I'm so sorry to hear that you've been so unwell, you poor thing. I think last time I spoke to you, I think it was on Monday morning, you sounded... (laughs) dreadful in the nicest way possible like we were saying off mic just not your usual self which is awful to get back from the most stunning amazing tropical island holiday to an anonymous viral infection but I'm glad to hear that you're feeling a little bit better it sucks to be sick Mm -hmm. we've spoken about that a little bit I think you and I have been taking turns lately with not feeling well but this sounds like one that's absolutely hit you which is no good lots of rest for you little Katniss, but me, little old me, I have been well, which is nice. I think my peak is going to be something that I've been paying really conscious attention to, that I have been trying to create a little bit of change in my life for for a little while, and that is my screen time. (sighs) You know how your phone gives you a percentage of time that you spend on different apps, and then it kind of formulates that into a little bit of an average amount of hours that you spend on your phone a day. I'm not even going to tell you what mine was. It was pretty confronting, (laughs) to say the least, Um, uh, how (laughs) much my screen time was. And every time it would come up, I was like, oh, I really need to change that. And I wonder if it's the same for you, Kat. We spend so much time on a screen for work. Uh, We see clients online. So, I'm spending many, many hours a day speaking to people over a screen. And then there is all of the admin that comes with 
case notes and emails and report writing and all of those things that also require me to be on a screen. And then what I was finding was that my, I guess, little bits of downtime, you know, between work or how I'm unwinding after work, I would scroll on my phone or I would watch a show. So, I was spending so much time on a screen and I was just noticing the impact of that. So, I have been implementing small changes throughout the week to disconnect a little bit. I think after my weekend away camping, not having a screen all day, I was like, wow, I really noticed the difference in terms of my capacity to be present, my capacity to slow down and really be connected to where I am in the now. And we preach this all the time. I think having my little camping trip away and not having service and really being disconnected from a screen, it showed me how important it is to be conscious of that. So, that has been something that I have implemented since coming back from that little trip and becoming a little bit more conscious of my screen time. And I feel all the better for it. My pit is (laughs) I was playing with my beautiful little paparinos the other day and I had this moment where I thought to myself, gosh, I love you guys. Like, I just love you guys so much. I'm just so lucky that I have these two beautiful little paparinos that I get to play and be silly with. And literally just as I was staring into Miko's eyes thinking, gosh, I love you, he jumped up and headbutted my chin quite <laughs> quite violently. To which I don't know if you can see cat. <gasps> what? But my teeth went through my tongue. As oh my <laughs> also got a bruise under my chin. Like oh my <laughs> he's a big boy. He's a strong boy. <laughs> Just as I was like, I love you so much. So lucky to have you. Yeah. <laughs> he jumped up and like essentially head butted me under my chin and I had my tongue between my teeth. And so, I have perfect imprints of my teeth in my tongue. I don't know. Oh, my God. I can't see that, but please send me a pic later. I will. I felt and I heard the crunch, if that makes sense, like the of my flesh being indented. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And then I poked my tongue out to look in the mirror and there was so much blood. I'm so sorry if this is making anyone squeamish. I won't go into any more detail. But that's got to be my pit because you don't realize what wounds on the tongue impact until you have all of these sores on your tongue. My coffee, trying to eat sipping water like everything has just become (laughs) everything you love has been taken away from you (laughs) oh even brushing my teeth so yes very mild inconvenience but that is my pit I was (laughs) I've got some battle scars from the rough and tumble of having two big beautiful dogs and (laughs) I love that you were staring at Miko with so much love in your eyes because I'm just visualizing this if I was watching this. I can just imagine you being like, wow, I love you. I've never loved you more. You are the light of my life, the sunshine in my world, and I couldn't imagine life without you. And he's been like, you know what I'm going to do with that love? I'm going to shove it in your face and I'm going to violently hurt you. And that would have been a really humbling 
experience as a dog owner. So, oh, <laughs> yep. Humbling is the word. Humbling hits the nail right on the head or right in the chin, as it would be for me. But I think what we've just described is such a great segue, you know, because in that moment, I did feel a little bit rejected. <laughs> it was a little bit like I thought we're having a moment. I thought we were both feeling the love and whammo, kapowie, right in the chin. Kat, we're talking all things rejection today. We are. So, as Amy described, rejection hurts a lot. It can lead to physical pain. It can lead to blood on your tongue. No, rejection does really sting. But, yes, we are talking all things rejection, Ames. I mean, I'm very thrilled to be talking about this today. I think it's such an important topic. I'm going to just bounce it back to you, though, because this is what I do. Talk to me while we're talking about rejection, Ames. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Kat Thrower under the bus, wife. Why are we talking about rejection? This was something that you did choose, so I'm allowed to throw under the bus today. You are. Why are we talking about rejection? Why is it important? Why do you think it's a great thing to be chatting with our listeners today? I did choose this episode. Part of me was like, how have we not talked about this before? I think I remember chatting to you a couple of weeks ago and saying, how have we not talked about rejection? Like this is something that we speak to our clients about so often and it's such a universal experience. Like rejection is really just such a normal part of human life. It's awful, it's painful, but I think when we think about our biology, the biology of our nervous system, how our brain is wired, we are wired to fear rejection and that filters into all sorts of things that we have spoken about before, running into the danger of becoming people pleasers and abandoning ourselves. You know, I think fear of rejection is one of our deepest human fears because we are biologically wired to belong, to connect, to avoid pain. Uh, we fear being seen in, in critical ways. We get really anxious at the thought of, of being rejected or disapproved of. And I think even going back to that kind of main function of our brain, you know, the removal of emotional and physical pain and rejection is both. It's so important to talk about. I think also, when we have repeated experiences of rejection, whether it be through our childhood, through friendships, workplaces, it can really start to impact how we see ourselves. You know, it can impact the core beliefs that we hold, like inadequacy and not good enoughness, failure, all of these perceptions or these scripts that we hold about ourselves can come from experiences of perceived rejection. And then with that, it almost becomes one of those self-fulfilling prophecies because we fear it so much that we we then go into to all sorts of withdrawal modes, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later. But I think it's so important to understand how to move through the pain and grief of rejection so that we can step out of those unhelpful beliefs about ourselves or scripts that we kind of keep repeating. What is rejection, Kat? When you think about rejection, it is obviously got a lot of negative stigma around it. And I think we live a lot of our lives avoiding rejection. Like at the very root of a lot of our actions and behaviors and thoughts is actually fear of rejection because it is 
such a protective mechanism. I think to be rejected is so threatening, but I think it's really important to kind of label from the get-go that rejection is such a normal part of life. It is nothing to be fearful of and scared of, but I understand, you know, of course it is really scary. It is something that happens often, okay? And I think that the cascade effects of rejection for so many people is if I'm rejected, it must mean something about me. But I really, really, really want to humanize and normalize here that rejection is so normal. It happens. It is a really normal part of life. And I think it's how we cope with it that is really important to note here. It is not this, you know, terrible thing. (laughs) It is something that unfortunately is, is just a part of life. And I think it's such a normal thing that we all do experience, as Ames was mentioning before. Absolutely. So human, so normal. And that is why we wanted to really unpack rejection today. And we might start with a good old definition Katniss, what is your definition of rejection? How would you describe what is rejection to someone that maybe was like, I kind of think I've experienced it before, but am I experiencing rejection or am I experiencing something else? How, how would you define it? It's a great question. I think when I was looking at this, you know, just having a quick little groove of the definition or one that I felt was really appropriate here, a lot of the definitions seem to be this active act of ignoring someone or excluding someone. But I would also say that rejection is a perception as well. So, I guess a definition that could be helpful here is rejection involves being excluded from a social relationship or interaction at its very core. It can be active. For example, someone actively bullying you, someone actively leaving you out, or it can be really passive. And that's kind of the more taking away of love or the silent treatment. But I would also say that Rejection cannot be intentional all the time. Rejection can also be our perception of a situation. For example, we might think, you know, I think micro-rejections might talk about that a bit later, but we might see our partner on their phone when we're trying to talk to them and think that that is a really active act of rejection. But at the same time, it likely also is not. We probably need to kind of make a definition here of what is that on purpose. Intentional? Yeah, thank you. What is that intentional act of rejection versus what is our perception of rejection? The feeling is the same (laughs) at the bottom of it, but sometimes those two things can be really, really different. Okay, and I think that's really important to note here. So, if the opposite of rejection is social acceptance, then rejection is something that is so important to our core. You know, I think from a very, very basic evolutionary primitive standpoint, to be accepted is to survive. So, social rejection, no matter how many years past we are being cavemen and cavewomen, social acceptance is what our brain will still hardwire us to believe as the most safest thing that we can have is acceptance by others. So, then on the very opposite end of that, to be rejected feels so, so threatening, It is such an important topic to talk about because it is at the core of so much of our survival, social rejection. And I think that a lot of us, as I was mentioning before, live in alignment with trying to avoid rejection as much as possible. You know, when we really break things down, we are all avoiding rejection because rejection really, it's not just painful and really stings. It can also speak to our survival or our brain's perception of survival. 
So, Ames, I would love to hear from you. What variables, like when we think about rejection, some people might experience rejection quite differently to the next person. So, what are some variables that you feel can intensify our experiences of rejection? I love this question. I think that's such a great question. I really think you hit the nail on the head with how you were describing rejection and I will describe rejection quite similarly when I'm exploring this with clients in clinical practice. And I think at the core or at the root of rejection, it is this perception of not being chosen. I think even going back to the meaning of the word rejection, it means to throw back. And oftentimes when we perceive rejection, it's this pain of not being chosen and we make sense of that by, you know, someone judging our worth or our value, you know, that someone is deciding or we have this perception that someone is deciding or making a judgment of us that we are not worthy or valuable or that parts of us to others are dismissed and not seen as worthy or valuable and so those parts of us aren't wanted. And that perception then becomes, yeah, painful, scary, as you were saying, it threatens the very core of our existence, which is belonging and connection. I love that. And that's something that I really resonate with as well. It's this perception of not being chosen due to some kind of judgment around our worth and our value. And I think that's what makes it feel so brutal because we have this instinctive desire to belong, to feel seen, to feel valued as human beings. And yeah, really interesting too how sometimes when we have those perceptions, even when something isn't intentional, it still brings up those intense emotions of hurt and anger and sadness and jealousy that is all really insulating when it comes to sometimes the shattering effects of rejection. But I guess when we look at some variables that can really intensify those perceptions of rejection or make us feel more sensitive to rejection, obviously our attachment style really has a fundamental role here, especially those with an anxious attachment style. It is associated with a higher level of worry and a lower level of self-esteem, which is associated with higher level of rejection sensitivity. Oftentimes, this comes from primary caregivers who are really inconsistent in their emotional availability. So, people with an ambivalent attachment style tend to often ignore their own needs and rely on others and that can sometimes come out as quite demanding and this is the result of fearing rejection and fearing abandonment so whilst I'm fearing rejection I'm also pushing my partner away in a bit of a seesaw dynamic and having these like big expectations as well due to this kind of fear that you're going to leave because that's what the familiar pattern is you come and you go you come and you go there's a real lack of consistency in that responsiveness and availability there, which wreaks havoc on our self-regulation and our nervous system. And as Kat and I just discussed, that is also a huge part of rejection is that it really disrupts our sense of safety in a relationship. And ultimately, that is a huge outcome of fear is a lack of safety in a relationship. That can be another experience or another variable that impacts our perception of rejection. How safe is the relationship that I'm in? Do I feel secure in my relationship? And where is that familiar from my past experiences? 
I also think something that is often linked to rejection is abandonment. They are different, but sometimes used interchangeably when we talk about childhood experiences that result in the abandonment wound. This can be an umbrella term for so many experiences, and I won't go into that this episode. Maybe we can talk about the abandonment wound in another episode. Maybe that would be interesting to go into. But essentially, it is experiences that are linked to the perception of worthlessness, okay, whereby we experience parts of us as being less worthy, often linked to shame. You know, this is a wrong part of me that has been rejected again, kind of tying back to that lack of acceptance, where we then start to really fear that experience of being being rejected or not being seen as good enough or worthy. Rejection from childhood really affects our adult relationships with our friends, our intimate bonds, our professional lives. And those of us that have trauma around rejection end up having a lot of self-doubt. It really affects how we see ourselves, our self-esteem, and we can actually become really afraid in relationships, often resulting in a bit of a freeze or fawn response. If we're going to link back to our biology and how that affects our responses, we'll often tend to have a real appease or people-pleasing dynamic, or we will just shut down because if our emotions weren't responded to effectively as children, we kind of learn to just repress them to avoid that sense of rejection or that reactive autonomy. You weren't there for me when I needed you the most. And so what is the point? Sometimes it feels safer not to go to you for help or when I need you than to experience that pain of being rejected. I think this is super important to understand from a neurological perspective as well or a neurobiological perspective. The brains of children are still developing and really learning, you know, anywhere from zero to 10. So really learning this time who we are as individuals and understanding the world and who I am in the world. This actually interrupts a child's natural course of psychological and neurological development. So, as a child, if we have experienced rejection, we can really be robbed of feeling safe and worthy in relationships and within ourselves. So, huge, huge impacts. Past experiences play a huge role in how we perceive rejection and how we fear rejection. I also think In terms of temperament and personality, one variable that can come up here is sensitivity. So if you are higher on the sensitive end of the scale, if you are an empath, if you are a highly sensitive person, you may have something called guilt proneness and it makes you more susceptible to experiencing rejection sensitivity. So knowing that too, highly sensitive people, we've never spoken about that and we refer to it so much, being an empath or being a highly sensitive person, because I've noticed that in the last few episodes, we have kind of linked this back to variables in certain situations, especially relationships. So maybe that's something that we can go into as well. But what variables do you notice really intensify experiences of rejection that you might have noticed in or out of the therapy chair? Really well said, Ames. I think you covered a lot of them there. I think that, you know, obviously attachment can play a huge role, kind of early childhood experiences. I guess two things I will add to this is, you know, when we think about it from the lens of social anxiety, social anxiety and social phobia is the fear of rejection, really, at the root of it. When we kind of 
work through the lens of social anxiety, a lot of what we might find is a fear of, is I don't want to be rejected by this person or this group, right? And I think that when you experience rejection, then either two things happen here. We, A, crave it more and will go above and beyond to seek acceptance or B, we withdraw, Right. And I think when it comes to social anxiety, the two things can coexist at the same time, but we might find two primary behaviors occurring here. The social anxiety can lead to withdrawal. You know, like I don't want to put myself out there and then at least I know I'm protecting myself from being rejected. Right. And that's a really common coping mechanism, which keeps us safe, but often keeps us quite isolated. But the other road is that going above and beyond. And that's where we can see a lot of that more people pleasing, as you're speaking about earlier, Ames, that kind of I'm yearning for acceptance so much so that I'm willing to jeopardize parts of me or put aside parts of me that are important in order to feel loved and accepted by this person or this group, right? So, I think from the lens of social anxiety, I think it's really important. But I also find clinically, and I think this is so important to mention, especially at the moment, is you were mentioning rejection sensitivity before, and I really do want to bring to light here rejection sensitivity dysphoria. Now, I think we touched on this in our ADHD episode, but it is so, so common for those who experience ADHD. That they will present with something called rejection sensitive dysphoria. So, what this is, is it's not an official diagnosis on its own, but what it is, is it's extreme emotional sensitivity and pain triggered by the perception that someone's been rejected or criticized by important people in their life. It can also be triggered by a feeling of inadequacy or failing to meet others or our own standards of self. So, it's not just rejection from other people. We can also sense this RSD from ourselves, okay? For those who do have ADHD, and it's not just limited to ADHD, it's just that most people who present with ADHD do experience at the same time this really painful experience when they feel a perception of rejection. And I think we did chat about this, but it can feel like you're in physical pain, right? Like this rejection can feel like you're in so, so much pain. And actually it is dysphoric, which means it is quite extreme. And what it can do is actually imitate a full cyclical mood disorder, right? So, those who experience ADHD or have RSD can actually often be misdiagnosed as having borderline personality disorder. Yeah, because their response to rejection feels for, for anyone on the surface so much more extreme than what it should be that there is this understanding or prediction that something must be wrong here. And I think it's a really, really interesting phenomenon that I really love to have watched along because they're still really unsure of why. I guess what's happening in the brain and what does it have to do with ADHD is still relatively unknown from the studies at current. But I think it really is helpful to put a word to it. It's not just in the lens of ADHD. People who do have mood disorders and personality disorders and anxiety disorders can absolutely experience RSD. It can be, it can occur on its own and aims. It's interesting that you mentioned HSPs, highly sensitive people or empaths, because they are also more likely to present with rejection sensitivity dysphoria, right? And I think this is so interesting to talk about because there is a label, there is a word for it. There is a whole body of research on this. And I think, you know, if you're listening to this and you're noticing like, oh my goodness, I really do understand and can really resonate with this, that rejection to me isn't just painful. It feels 
unbearable. It feels intolerable. Yeah, life or death. Yeah. Yeah. Often people can't even find the words to describe the pain, you know, and I think that that it might be helpful to do some research into RSD because it can absolutely be, you know, an element or a characteristic of this diagnosis. So the lens in which I do see it play out the most clinically is certainly within the social anxiety umbrella, obviously relationships Mm -hmm. like we spoke about, but a really, really common experience I'm seeing, I do work quite close with ADHD, is rejection sensitivity dysphoria. And I think it's such an interesting thing to be aware of and so, so common. I've not actually met a client who has a presentation of ADHD or even is just high on that sensitivity scale who doesn't experience RSD. So, I think that that can really trigger and intensify someone's response to rejection. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt this episode. We just want to quickly let you know all about our brand new anxiety e-course called Coming Home, How to Care for Your Anxiety. In this six-week self-paced course, we will help you to deepen your understanding of your anxiety and teach you practical ways to help you feel more calm, confident, and connected. If you've ever felt unsure about how to look after your anxiety and want to learn helpful and practical skills that actually work, then this course will be for you. From our years of clinical work and research, we found those who understood their anxiety and learnt to care for it rather than saw it as an enemy to get rid of, noticed a reduction in their anxiety and felt more empowered to manage their stress and anxiety in everyday life. We are so passionate and dedicated to assisting you build a strong foundation to look after your experiences of anxiety. If you'd like more information, pop over to our website on www.atthesitecollaborative.com.au. There's a free download of the introduction and what to expect where you can feel free to suss out the course. We will add all this information in our show notes. Now back to the episode. Oh, absolutely. So true, Kat, and so important, I guess, to have that understanding. And I agree, something I see a lot too, which is why this conversation around the psychological and neurological development, what you experience as a child, temperament, personality, like there are so many variables that can really intensify our experience or how we perceive rejection. And I think that, yeah, such an important point to add here. And I guess that kind of filters into our next little segment for this conversation around types of rejection that we can experience. When we think about different perception rejection there are so many and I guess it is a spectrum like most things psychological when you think about types of rejection that we experience cat you know whether it is a breakup in an intimate relationship or romantic relationship what we can experience in different family dynamics friendships What types of rejection do you notice, whether it be, like you were saying before, more micro experiences of rejection or perceptions of rejection versus, I guess, really overt, I don't want you rejections? What comes to mind for you? (laughs) I love that. The overt, I don't want you rejections. (laughs) Couldn't have put it better. (laughs) Oh, God, that's brutal, isn't it? (laughs) And my heart is hurting even thinking about that. Actually, as you're saying that, dating, right? Like if we think about rejections and the complexities. It's part and parcel, isn't it? Yeah. The complexities of micro rejections are so important here because dating is one of those areas where you experience so much rejection 
And like we'll say, the top of the episode is actually such a normal part of life, but I feel like it's really concentrated (laughs) in the arena of dating, particularly online dating. And I really think the harshest rejection that you can experience is ghosting, right? I think we've spoken about this before, but that is intolerable, Right. When we think about the psychological impacts of rejection in a day to day life, we would experience rejection with a sense of context. You know, when we think about the types of rejection, like let's go with being stood down from work, a marriage breakup, losing touch with a friend or, you know, a friend not wanting to kind of continue a friendship. What we have there is context. We are more likely to have a sense of understanding of maybe where this was coming from, or we're getting to hear a little bit more about what's going on for the other person to help really, it's not going to alleviate the pain of rejection, but I think it really helps us make sense of our experiences of rejection, what's happening for us and for the other person. But when you think about dating and ghosting specifically, I'm sure there's so many other words. I'm so not up to date (laughs) with the lingo, but let's go ghosting. Let's keep it at cat's level. There is no context. There is no understanding, there is no way of making sense of that, right? So, not only are you coping with this painful rejection, you're also coping with this intense anxiety that comes with the not knowing of what is going on, what has happened, have I done something, have they done something? And you can fall into that trap of analyzing every little thing that you've done. So, I would say that there are many types of rejection and like we were speaking about before, but I really think it's so important to bring up here those micro rejections, particularly in the dating world. I think that they are honestly so painful and I'm saying micro, but they're having a macro effect. (laughs) I would say that would be one area in which people may experience rejection quite often. And it is such a painful one at that to experience. But as you're talking about aims, I think those like more obvious senses of rejection, like, yeah, we just talk about like, you know, divorce, a family breakdown, yeah, being fired from work, big types of rejection. But yeah, I think micro rejections as well. So as I was kind of mentioning earlier, those might be things of your partner not paying you enough attention, a friend not writing back to a text message, those smaller feelings of rejection, which are still really important that they just are not as obvious. And often those who experience those micro rejections can have exactly the same impact and feeling as those who experience what is perceived as the bigger, you know, more obvious senses of rejection. So, I would say those are the types of rejection we can experience. And I say that both have such a significant impact, whether they're micro or macro. But I would love to hear from you, Ames, if you've got anything to add to that, or if not, The impact of rejection. So, talk to me about why do we avoid rejection? Talk to me about what feels so painful about rejection that we every day (laughs) often seek to avoid it. Why do you think we all avoid rejection so much? Absolutely. That's a wonderful question. And I guess I just want to acknowledge what you have just shared around types of rejection that we can experience. Could not agree more that ghosting is such a shattering form of rejection. It's brutal rejection and it has such an awful impact on us. It really makes us question and doubt ourselves. has such a tone of confusion around it that I think really reinforces the feelings, ideas and beliefs that we have around our perception of rejection. You know, that I must not be good enough or I, I must be inadequate because this person hasn't even given me the time of day of an explanation, all of those horrible things that filter into not having that context. I think other types of rejection that we can experience, I guess a little bit more common in childhood, although they can happen in adulthood as well, and that is bullying. 
I work with a lot of clients that have experienced bullying throughout childhood and still in different realms of their adult worlds as well. Like maybe it is in the workplace, in the office, that experience of being bullied, being criticized, being excluded, all of those experiences really accumulate into that awful experience of perception of rejection. Even if it's that experience of being picked last. So, if as a child, you know, you were trying out for a sporting team or public speaking or any kind of extracurricular activity, or even if it was just that you put your hand up a lot in class and, you know, you perceived that you weren't often called upon, these are all micro experiences or perceptions of rejection that sense of being thrown back or not chosen. And then it's how we internalize those experiences that really kind of, I guess, are like sore spots that show up in our adult perceptions as well. And it becomes like this distorted lens through which we're then experiencing adult relationships or events as well. And then the more overt and extreme end of the spectrum is if you're a child who's ever experienced abuse, neglect, abandonment, those are also experiences of rejection, okay, care being taken away, which really perpetuates that pain and that fear. Even if you had a a parent that favoured a sibling over you, that's another experience of rejection. So, if you have grown up in a household where there was a golden child or there was perceived favouritism there, it is this sense of, I'm never good enough, you know, no matter what I do, always chasing to be good enough. Or if you were seen as like the problem child or the difficult child, you were a burden in your family. These are all perceptions of rejection, which can be very, very painful and are essentially wounds or scripts that we tend to carry into adult relationships and essentially how we see ourselves leading into how we understand the impact of rejection and why we avoid it so much. I guess with that being said, our perception of rejection confirms our worst fears about ourselves that we would be unlovable, that we would be unworthy, not valuable. It's those fear-based beliefs and thoughts from having perceived rejection that create social anxiety that you know, kind of filter into how we relate to other people, how we respond in relationships, you know, whether we withdraw, isolate ourselves, or like you were saying, Kat, we really chase and go above and beyond. And I guess that is by nature an anxious, ambivalent relationship or relational pattern. It is that seesaw, you know, going between those two ends of the spectrum because rejection is so painful. And I guess an example of that that can come up maybe within more of a work context or relationships too, really, is this perception of failure. You know, that if I experience rejection, if I have this, you know, belief about what that means for me, it means that I perceive myself as a failure. That can really wreak havoc on us. I think a big part of that fear of rejection as well is that hurt and pain. Okay, naturally, we have an aversion to pain and discomfort. Our brain is very, very clever. It's wired for safety and survival. Whenever something is painful, we want to avoid it. And like you were saying, Kat, there's a lot of 
research and study around rejection being painful both physically and psychologically. The brain regions associated with physical pain light up like when we break our leg or our arm, the same regions that light up when we experience emotional pain. So, when we say that it feels physical, it quite legitimately is physically painful as well. It impacts our sleep. Anyone that has experienced that crippling pain of rejection, you know, that awful embodied sick feeling, uh, it impacts our immune system because it's distressing. Like we've been saying, it just feels unsafe. It creates a real instability with how we feel about ourselves and how we feel physically. And it just creates a lot of anger, anxiety, confusion, jealousy, sadness, doubt, questioning. It's like a perfect storm, isn't it? I think there are so many negative consequences for that perception of rejection. But I think what I find when working with people around rejection Arguably, I guess everyone is different and our perceptions are subjective, but I think it is that how have I interpreted rejection? What does rejection say about me? I think that has the biggest impact, pain of rejection and and how I make sense and make meaning of what rejection says about me because I think at the root of a lot of painful rejection, it is that loss of self, worthlessness, shame and that can be so pervasive and then once we get into those patterns that become so entrenched we then have all of those other coping modes or coping mechanisms that are there to get us out of those painful intolerable experiences of worthlessness shame and fearing that pain again or not wanting to go near that pain again and that can look like anything from addiction you know that craving that temporary relief from pain extreme rigid control okay to create predictability through all of those unstable uncertain senses that come through when we perceive rejection so it's huge there is a a huge 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 impact when it comes to rejection and the havoc that it reaps on us but hopefully in understanding that rejection is normal part of the human process and it's something that we can really grow through and I guess that's something that we can talk about a little bit later is how to see rejection as more of a redirection and as something that we can look after and understand in terms of self-concept and self-worth knowing that our brain and our body are actually responding in the best way that it can at the time. When we are having a perception of rejection, it is so much less about rejection and so much more about interpretation and perception of what this says about me. So seeing it as an opportunity to look inward, what is this saying about me? My mind and my body are responding this way what is it really responding to? I think sometimes that can actually be helpful to understand the impact in that way through the lens of, okay, something feels unsafe, something feels unstable, and how can I respond to that? 
as an outcome of lack of safety? How do I make this safer for myself? I guess then that leads us into the final question, how to cope with experiences of rejection. So as Ames was mentioning, I think doing a bit of digging and understanding what does being rejected say about you? You know, what are the stories? What are the beliefs that's underneath all of this? For most people, and I would say this pretty confidently, your fear response is being triggered, right? So when our fear response is being triggered, what do we need in that moment? We need to be self-soothing and self-regulating here because this is threatening survival. So it's okay that this is the stress response that you're having. Your really, really, really clever brain is saying, hey, something scary and bad is happening and I want to protect us. You know, as Ames was mentioning, through different ways of coping. So people cope through withdrawal, people cope with avoidance, people cope with seeking love and seeking approval elsewhere. It's understanding what's happening for you that makes sense of your coping mechanisms, okay? And I love the reframe aims that you mentioned before of rejection is a part of life. We can actually not avoid rejection, try as we might. It is about understanding and reframing what rejection means to us. What are the stories we have told ourselves? Just like anything that is driven by a primitive response of survival, there is usually a big fear underneath all of this. And the fear might feel, when we dig to it, might feel really silly or really... trivial. You know, I'm scared that if I'm rejected by this person that it would, I'm unlovable. And I think when we say that out loud as adults or really understand that and articulate that, we might think, oh my goodness, where is that coming from? But as a child, which is when you kind of learn these beliefs and, and learn to cope with what feels really scary, that is really real and that feels really real. So, it's understanding, but does that fear of rejection still serve me? How is it having an impact on me and my life? And I think for a lot of people, we may be avoiding rejection at all costs. And by doing that, what we might be doing is self-sabotaging. We might not be saying yes to things that might end in rejection out of that fear. Yeah. And we might be saying no to opportunities, you know, might be saying no to relationships. It's often we can go back into that self-protection mode here and it's safe in our cave, but our cave can often be a lonely place to be. I think really digging down to what does rejection say about me, you know, think about the last time you rejected and try and understand what was the fear underneath all this. What did it say about you that you were rejected? Okay. And then trying to do some introspection there of did it say something about my worth, my lovability, feeling good enough, (laughs) you know, did it say something about my personality? All of those things are usually tied to rejection. I think that's really helpful to dig down and really understand what story, what that core belief is that you are constantly perpetuating. I think as well when it comes to rejection, like I spoke about, I think that regulation of your nervous system because your body and brain are scared (laughs) and are thinking this is life or death and this feels really scary because it is, you know, that's the way we are perceiving it. So any kind of regulation will be really important here, self-soothing. As Ames was talking about, there is a lot of, you know, overlap with attachment. So a lot of in child work, obviously chatting to a therapist can be really super helpful here. From the lens of maybe more of the social anxiety and ADHD, like I was speaking, about before. I think this is a really helpful thing to do some research into or get some support around. I've found that a lot of people have found that just giving it a name (laughs) and knowing that they're not alone is a really, really helpful start to healing their relationship with rejection and understanding more about themselves. And I really hope that this episode does that for a lot of people that this is such a normal part of life and you're so not alone (laughs) for experiencing 
all the pain that comes with the rejection. It is so, so painful and isolating, but it is such a human experience. What about you, Ames? Is there anything that you would recommend that can help with coping with rejection? Oh, they are such wonderful tips. I could not agree more. And thank you so much for contributing those. I agree absolutely with starting with the nervous system. I think when our nervous system is activated, that is when those automatic pathways are the most accessible. So we will go into those old distorted lenses of seeing ourselves as unworthy, not good enough, inadequate, failures, and that really just perpetuates the cycle of self-rejection. So I think that is so, so fundamental. First, it is about being present to what I'm experiencing when I perceive rejection and getting underneath that, you know, what am I actually feeling when I perceive rejection? So mindfulness can be really helpful, paying attention to what is happening here and now as a way of really bringing the nervous system back to our social engagement system when we are calm and connected. That can be really great. I think also understanding Like we have been saying, our brain is protective or the things that we find the most challenging about ourselves are protective. So kind of looking at, well, what parts of myself might I be judging harshly or rejecting because I'm wanting to gain the acceptance and acknowledgement and validation of others? And how might that be impacting me and kind of perpetuating that, yes, self-rejection. What parts of me do I kind of fear other people seeing that essentially creates like this disconnection from our authenticity because we learn to reject in order to salvage bonds, connection, belonging, and attachment. So sometimes there can be this real internal conflict when it comes to self-exploration around perception of rejection because we have learned repeatedly that these are like wrong, bad things about me that people don't like and accept and approve of. So really it's about starting to see these parts of myself that I have internalized as bad or wrong or not good enough okay, as past interpretations or past experiences. It's an old script. And can I start to see these parts of myself through a new, healthier lens? As Kat mentioned, inner child work can be wonderful for this. So parts of me that weren't seen, heard, loved, or worthy as children, we learn to disconnect from those parts and shut them down. And I agree with what you said, Kat, that work is best done with a therapist. That focus on attachment and inner child work can be really wonderful. I also think self-compassion. Self-compassion here is crucial. Something that I'll often refer to is queen energy. So queen energy, essentially, like we're saying, rejection is part of our human experience. And when we are afraid of rejection, it has power over us. It feels awful. It feels so unstable and it activates every core fear in our organism. When we are really focusing on self-compassion, this queen energy says there is so much value within myself and I'm so enough and we internalize being worthy. So it's this deep alignment to our authenticity that 
you know, I can honor myself and I can hold myself lightly and gently when I'm experiencing the pain of rejection because that is true. It is true that rejection is painful. It is true that rejection is uncomfortable. But all of those other stories that I might have about my perception of rejection are not. And so consequently, when I have this connection to the truth of who I am and that I am deserving of love and I am worthy of love and acceptance and approval, I actually become unrejectable. I know that is not a word, (laughs) but it is this sense of if I have this whole broad spectrum of acceptance around myself, even the parts of me that are challenging, no one can reject me because I'm not looking outside myself to be good enough. It's okay. Like not everyone is going to like me. Not everyone is going to approve of every single part of me. Our parents can't even give us that, not because they're bad parents, but because we are all human. So I really see this as like the ultimate self-care around I'm not afraid to like myself. And that's what happens when we kind of really peel back the layers of our perception of rejection. Oftentimes when we are fearful of rejection, whether it be social anxiety, whether it be a abandonment wound, trauma, a very activated attachment system or a very dysregulated nervous system, ADHD, whether you're a highly sensitive person, sometimes it is, what am I afraid to like about myself because of how I have perceived this part of me? So I think really coming back to some self-compassion around the parts of me that perhaps I reject. And sometimes this is unconscious. So again, bringing it back to good old therapy, working through shadow self and ego because our defense mechanisms can really get in the way there. I want to echo what Kat has said in that I so agree. And one thing that you mentioned, Kat, that I think is so important is having a name and being able to identify our experiences so that we can interpret them through the lens of what is happening for us now. That is so important. I so agree with that. And I hope that this episode has been helpful in allowing a little bit more compassion and understanding and space if you have been having a difficult time with rejection lately. It is so painful. It's shattering. It's (laughs) it's to the very core of our human nature and our biology. So absolutely, like you so rightly said, Kat, you are not alone. It is universal and it is really how we learn to cope and see our rejection as an opportunity to step out of old patterns and show some compassion to ourselves when we are experiencing something really painful and vulnerable. Oh, right back at you, girlfriend. No, thank you so much for all your wisdom. I would just say if you are someone who's not in a position to access therapy, because I know it is a really tough time at the moment, I can recommend a brilliant book. I read it ages ago and I almost forgot the name of it, but it is called The Courage to be Disliked. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, Ames, or read it. It is wonderful. I highly recommend it. It's from a, two Japanese authors and I think it really takes on a lot of the Jung and Freudian work and it really can help with healing our relationship with rejection, right? So I think The Courage to be Disliked is really an important skill to learn. As Ames was mentioning, we are not for everyone and everyone Mm. is not for us. So starting to heal through that. So I really highly recommend that we can pop that in the show notes for anyone wants to have a little gaze of that. 
that might be helpful if you are experiencing, uh, you know, wanting a little bit more help around rejection. So thank you, Ames, for joining us today. I hope that your tongue <laughs> starts to heal and I hope that you don't feel any more rejection from poor little Miko. And we will be <laughs> back in your ears in a few weeks' time. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey guys, just adding a disclosure, this episode is not intended to replace personalized psychological advice and it is always intended to be general in nature. This episode does not take into account your own individual experiences. We always recommend you seek personalized professional psychological support. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you want to support the show, it would mean the world to us if you could leave a review. This also helps us sneak our way into more ears. If you'd like to follow us or learn more, please follow us at the Psychology Sisters or at the Psych Collaborative on Instagram. If you'd like more info on our private practice, please visit www.thesitecollaborative.com. All of this info will be in our show notes. We will see you next time, guys. Bye.